Well, yeah, I'm excited to be up here this morning to share with you guys and to share kind of what God's been putting on my heart for, for a while now and, and leading up to this point. Um, you know, God, God's been so good to me, even though I haven't been. Um, a lot of times I've faked it. I've, uh, I was good at playing the role of a Christian. I was pretty, pretty good at it. I knew how to say things like, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you about that, but never did. So I'm sorry for lying to some of you guys about that. Uh, you know, I would say that I would share or I would uh, be reading scripture and my, my relationship with God was good, but it wasn't. It was just um, a bunch of knowledge that I had. It was just a bunch of years and years of hearing sermons and testimonies and messages just a bunch of regurgitated knowledge in my head that was floating around that I thought I knew about God. And so um, I just want to start off by asking you guys some questions. Um, if you guys don't mind, for the, first, for the first set of questions, or for the first question, I'm actually going to write down what you guys have to say. So it's actually a rhetorical question. Um, the question is, is if you guys were to interview me to see if I really love my wife, what questions would you guys ask me? And I appreciate it if I had like different age groups, younger, older, male, female, just to kind of get a good spectrum here. Go for Are it. Faithful? Am I faithful? Okay. Okay. What do I do for her? Go ahead, you guys, feel free. Time. time. <laughs> I, I'm actually pretty good at that. I don't know. I am. But that's part of, that's a huge conflict, huh? <laughs> Do I listen to her? These are really good questions. Do you show her your appreciation? You guys are going a little too fast for me. <laughs> All right. Am I sacrificial? That's a good one. Okay, I think that's pretty good. You know, that's kind of funny, like when I was thinking about asking this question, I was worried that I would get goofy questions that I wouldn't be able to work out, but this, this is better than I could have imagined, so thank God for that. Um, so, okay, now, now on to some more questions. They, they, with these questions, I'm going to get to later with my time with sharing with you guys, but uh, on to some other questions I wanted to ask you guys, and again, uh, feel free to answer me. Um, when did the Warriors play last? Last night. Did they win? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, how many wins versus losses do the Warriors have this season so far? Okay. I, you're, you're asking, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, how many, did Steph Curry play? How many points did he make? 
43. Okay. Okay, that's pretty good. Pretty good game. Um, all right. What's uh, Steph Curry's daughter's name? Which one? Uh, the youngest. Sure. Whatever. The youngest daughter. Ryan. Okay. What's his What's his wife's name? Okay. Uh, another question. When was the last time you spent time with Steph Curry? Nobody? Nobody spent time with him? All right. Well, the illustration I'm trying to draw with these, asking the questions about the Warriors, is that's exactly how my relationship with Christ was. You know, he was a Steph Curry to me, somebody that I knew basically all the stats. I knew his, uh, how many miracles he performed, um, what kind of miracles he performed, who his mom was. I, I knew the, this information, I, I, but I didn't know him. Never really spent time with him. See, I grew up in the church. I, I, I've been going to this church for about 20, almost 25 years now. So a majority of my life, about 90% of my life, I've been going to this church. And um, there's, I want to share with you guys one thing that I really remember. Um, somebody that came on this stage, and I'll never forget what he said. And it was actually the old principal of this school, and, uh, Principal Dan Vigas. Um, he came up here, and we just got done singing a worship song, and what he shared was, or the song that we just sung was, I will, I'll praise you in the morning, I'll praise you in the evening. Um, you, you guys remember that old hymnal song? And the first thing he did when he came up here was he said, how dangerous, how dangerous we are to sing those words if we don't do them. Like, who are we singing to? Are we saying, I'm going to praise you in the morning? Am I going to praise you at night through everything? Or are these just words that we're just saying? And so the, the, that's what he really, it hit me. And I was like 10, 11 at that time. And my mind started becoming more deeper in, into thinking like, what am I doing? Um, so anyways, so that, that's kind of where my relationship with Christ was, was, was just a bunch of regurgitated information that, that really didn't have any... I didn't have intimacy with him. I didn't, it didn't really get to know him, feel his heart. What ached for him was aching for me. What made him joyful made me joyful. I didn't really feel those things. I was just filled with knowledge, head knowledge. It was almost like an academic thing that I've been going through my whole life. Um, so now that I'm starting, now, now that my, I'm, you know, what really started to get me thinking um, was I really started to... Uh, I'm sorry, I, what I really started to get to do was I needed to make this faith my own. Some questions were popping up in my head and I was thinking, why am I a Christian? Let's say I was born in a Muslim home. Would I be Muslim? Am I a Christian because my parents are Christian? Is that, is that the only ground that I have? Or is this faith my own? Is this something that I can grasp my own and make it my own and say I'm a Christian because I believe in God and I have a personal relationship with him and he saved me? And so the verse I want to share with you guys, it's not going to be up on the screen, um, is in Matthew 3. And this is, the Pharisees are coming up to uh, John the Baptist. And this is John the Baptist's response to them when he's kind of met with some kind of hostility from the Pharisees. And it's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. 
Um, feel free to turn your Bibles. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming up to baptism, he said to them, You broad vipers, you warned to flee from the wrath to come. Or who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourself. Now listen to this part. Do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our fathers. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and even the tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Heavy, heavy, heavy words, I think John the Baptist is saying here from the Spirit of God. So here these Pharisees are coming up to John the Baptist, and John the, and, and John the Baptist is saying, do you think this is going to save you? That you guys are descendants of Abraham? Is this enough? And so I had to ask myself, is this enough for me? That I was born in a Christian home? That I've been going to Concord Bible Church my whole life? That I've been going to retreats? Is that, was that enough for me? That I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to, and, and I, will be, I will enter into eternal life with him based on these, based on, based on having like just these superficial arguments that I'll have. Like I was born in a Christian home. I, was, I went to Concord Bible Church. I don't think that would be good enough. I really don't. And so I, I, had to, I was struggling to find a deeper connection with God. Um, so yeah, so, so getting deeper with God has, has, been, has been kind of my journey the past, you know, I would say almost a year now of just really seeking after his heart, really getting to know him, really getting on my knees and bowing my head before him and praying and really lifting my heart to him and, and for him to, to just hear me that there's a being and he hears me and he, he knows me and feeling that is, is, has been just indescribable. Um, and, and as I'm getting to know Jesus, I'm getting to know his seriousness about things. And that's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm realizing that I'm not serious about a lot of things that I think Jesus is serious about when we turn to scripture and we find out um, so there's, there's three kind of points that I wanted to go over with you guys this morning and what God's kind of put on my heart to share with you guys is first is with knowledge comes responsibility. So now that we have this knowledge, now we are responsible for this knowledge. I believe that based on biblical truth. Also, second is with knowledge comes the ability to respond. So now we have this knowledge. Now we have the ability to respond. Um, and third is, why do we respond? And I'm, we're going to kind of jump all over um, the Bible to kind of grab my points from this and, and what God's been really revealing to me through his scripture. Um, okay, so the, the first point place I'd like you guys to turn to is in Luke chapter 12, if you guys don't mind. Now, there's only two verses that I really want to point out in Luke chapter 12, and that's um, verse 47. 48, but to kind of give you kind of a backstory of what's happening here, Jesus is talking to his disciples and, and he's telling them to always be ready, always be dressed for action, always be prepared for, for the time when he will return. And not only that, but to always be prepared because it's, 
the master's will. And so the illustration that he draws is between a servant and a master. Um, and so right now, at this point in verse 47, he's talking to um, the disciples. And, and actually, right before, Peter asked him, are you talking to us, the disciples, or is this for all of us? And Jesus almost kind of doesn't even answer him. And he goes into making this illustration of, you know, how the master will come and the servant always needs to be prepared at this point. So I want to pay attention to verse 47 and uh, 48. And verse 47 says this, And that servant who knew the master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. And the one who did not know, but did what deserved the beating, will receive a light beating. Every one to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him who they entrusted much, they will be demanded the more. So what is, what is this saying here? What is Jesus saying? Um, you know, I kind of want to push aside the severe beating part, but, but I feel like that's, it's, it's, it's a hard concept to, to swallow. Um, but I think, it, I think it shows the magnitude of it. You know, I think naturally I like to push that aside and say like, oh, that's, that's you know, try to reason it or, put, or make it lessen it than what Jesus was saying there. But I think what he was saying was showing the gravity of the situation is that the one who knew the master's will but chose not to do it received a severe beating. What this is telling me is the ones who do not know the master's will are better off than the ones who did. And that's a scary thing to, for me to think about. That's a really terrifying thing for me to think about saying, okay, now that I'm given this knowledge, now that God has revealed this knowledge to me, and I, you know, knowing scripture and, 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 and being, having ears, to having ears open to hear the words that God speaks through many people um, is, is a gift from God. It's not something to take granted and say like, oh, you know, this is just something that I just hear. I, I believe that it's a gift from God. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through that person, whoever it is, and that we are given this knowledge. And when we open up Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals things through the Scripture to us. And so this is all knowledge that is God-given. So now that this knowledge that's God-given, we are responsible for this. I really believe that. And so this is something that I was struggling with, saying, okay, now that I've lived my life, my whole life, knowing Scripture, what now? How does my, how's my life supposed to look? And am I ready? Or do I act according to his will? And the answer was no for me. The answer was really no. I, I wasn't. I wasn't acting according to his will. Because I, I knew what his will said. Because I was given this knowledge. I knew what his will said. I didn't have an excuse. And so, you know, like... Now that we're without, we're without excuse based on this knowledge, but let's say we didn't even have this knowledge, I believe we're still without excuse because Jesus points it out and says the one who didn't know does, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. You guys don't have to turn there, but in Romans chapter 1, um, verses uh, 19 through 21, um, here Paul is writing and he says, 
for what can be known about God is plain to them because, they, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attribute, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here Paul is saying that even the ones who knew or who had basically didn't know, know nothing of the knowledge given to God, they are without excuse because of his invisible attributes. So here we know that now that I know the knowledge of God, now that God has revealed this knowledge to me, now I'm held to a higher standard. And I, I really believe on the day that I'm going to stand before God, he's going to ask me, what did you do with this knowledge? And, and, and I, I pray that now, by God's grace that he's revealed to me, that I've been kind of taking my life in a cavalier kind of attitude that that now I can stand before God and, and know that he has been with me to give me this power to do his will and that I can be blameless before him on that day. You know, I want to share with you guys uh, what C.S. Lewis said um, in one of his books. He says this. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I think, I think that speaks pretty, pretty loudly. It's, it's, C.S. Lewis is saying here that you, you can't have it in the middle. It can't be mediocre. It can't be lukewarm. It can't be this, this soft thing of like this is of little importance or it's some importance or whatever. It's either on fire or just ice cold. I, I believe that that's, that's what C.S. Lewis is here, and I, I, I agree with him. I can't, I can't argue with that. I'm sorry if I'm seeming kind of jumbled or whatnot. I wanted to kind of avoid sharing this with you guys, but um, this week, I, uh, on Wednesday, I got really dizzy, and um, ever since Wednesday, I've been dizzy, and even right now, I'm dizzy, and yesterday, I went to critical care, and they told me that I have uh, vertigo. So I'm actually speaking to like 300 people here because <laughs> it's a little, little, little off for me. So, I'm, so if I fall over or something like that, just, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that comes to our second point, um, which is with knowledge comes the ability to respond. And I want to look at two different people here. Um, and this is where God really spoke to me and, and kind of revealed these two people um, that are in Luke chapter 18, if you guys wouldn't mind sharing, or sharing, uh, turning there. And here we have the rich young ruler. And we'll, we'll focus on him first. Um, and let's go, let's read through that. And if, uh, if you guys don't have that, if you guys don't have the Bibles with you, I'm sure it's up on the screen. 
Um, and a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All of these I've kept from my youth. And, Jesus, and when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who have heard, those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, no one who has left house or wife or brother or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will not receive many more times in this many more in this time and in the, in the age to come. So here we have Jesus' dialogue with this rich young ruler. And I, I really believe that the rich young ruler was well-intentioned because he, he came to Jesus on his own accord. He came on his own will and he came to him and he was really seeking knowledge from Jesus to see how he can enter into eternal life because that's the first thing he went he went after he said you know good teacher how do I inherit inherit eternal life so that already puts me on the same level playing field as as the rich young ruler because here I am wanting eternal life knowing that eternal life only comes from God so I'm coming to God with eternal life but now the question that Jesus has to him and this kind of dialogue that he unfolds to him is what are you willing to give up what are you willing to do to to enter into eternal life and that's where the struggle begins that's where the battle begins that's where the decision making begins because you know if, if we were all if it was that easy for us to just say oh I want eternal life let me have eternal life but let me keep what I have in my life and not change anything then I feel like all of us would just be uh, yeah of course you know but you know I for me I didn't understand that concept of, of I can't have God and not give up myself. You know, we read through scripture and Jesus constantly says, like, deny yourself. You know, die to yourself daily. Carry your cross and come and follow me. So I don't think this is, you know, if Jesus promises anything, he promises persecution, if anything. But it's, it's something that's so worth it. And, and right here, unfortunately, the rich young ruler didn't see that it was worth it because he was faced with the choice. He's, Jesus said, okay, you want to enter into your eternal life? Okay, go and sell all that you have. Give up because he knew, Jesus knew that he found his identity in his financial status. He knew that he, the rich young ruler found his identity in something other than God. And so Jesus was speaking straightly to him. And, and now that the rich young ruler was faced with this, with this, this decision, um, it was, that's when the struggle began. 
That's when the questioning began. That's when the debating whether is it worth it? Is it is it not? Is it now now we're starting to evaluate the situation? And another point I want to point out in, in, in Luke chapter 18 with the rich young ruler is when Jesus says, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. And if you want to see what becomes, how the impossible becomes possible, two paragraphs later, here we have Zacchaeus chapter 9. Chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 1. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was on the same level playing field as, as the rich young ruler. Had wealth. And he was seeking to Jesus. And he was, and he was seeking to see Jesus who was... Um, or to, I'm sorry. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree and said to him, or climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came down, he hurried and came down to receive him joyfully. And when, he, when, they, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. So, you know, Zacchaeus didn't even need to be asked to give up his, what, what he found his identity in. Obviously, he found his identity in his wealth because he was a chief tax collector. And that's, that's who he was. That's what he was labeled as. And he was rich. He was wealthy. So he's on the same level playing field as the rich young ruler. But his response was, you don't even need to ask me. Here, Jesus, half, half of everything I own, I'm giving to the poor. And the other half, if I've defrauded any of you guys, I'm giving you guys four times as much. It was, it was this, this, this obvious response for Zacchaeus. It was an obvious, he didn't even have to think about it. And what was Jesus' response to him? He said, today salvation has come to this house. You know, it reminds me of the story of the, par- or the parable that Jesus gives of the, the hidden treasure um, in the field. Where, where, where this guy finds this field with, and has a buried treasure, and so he runs back and he sells all that he has joyfully, like without even thinking, and he runs back to buy that field because he knows that field is so much more worth it. And that was something that I feel like God's really been revealing himself to me as, as I've been digging in Scripture to, um, to share with you guys this morning is, is what's worth it for me? Where, where's, am I going to sit here and evaluate my life and to, and to see what's worth giving up and what's not for the sake of God, for the sake of the kingdom of God? And now that I'm getting a taste of how good God is, like the story of Kat, and, and, and seeing how he loves in a way that 
is undeniably obvious. <laughs> it's all worth it. It's worth to give up everything for the sake. And, and I, 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 I asked this question to my wife, and it was, a, it was a real struggle that we were going through, or not a struggle that we were going through, but like a hard concept for us to, to ask ourselves was with the rich young ruler. Let's say I removed the rich young ruler and I put Steve in there. Let's say I removed his, my, the wealth and I put my family there. And here Jesus is saying, he comes up to me, and I'm standing here in front of the Son of God. And Jesus says to me, you want eternal life? Okay. Go, leave your family, and come and follow me. What would I do? I'm giving up my family, my two boys, my wife. Am I going to sit here and evaluate that? Or is it an obvious for me that God is so much bigger? It's my family. Or is it God? And I don't believe God's calling me to walk away from my family, so don't misinterpret that. <laughs> but I'm just, I, I'm, I'm talking about priorities here. I'm talking about priorities here. Like, what is, what's worth it? What's, at the end of the day, worth it? And yeah, I, I can evaluate, I can say, yeah, my family's so much worth it. It's, it's, it's so they're the joy of my life. My kids, watching them grow up, watching them tackle and get hurt and, you know, doing all that stuff. And, and, and my wife. And, or is God so much more? And, and, and whatever. And that was, so that was a real, real challenging thought for me is if, if God was to ask me that, would I be willing? Joyfully, like Zacchaeus, where, where his whole identity was found in his wealth. Would, he, would I be joyfully just give that up and say, okay, God, whatever you want, whatever you want. Like knowing him that deeply and saying, whatever. Okay, you want me to go here? Whatever. Like that's, who am I to question? And just joyfully accept what God has called me to do. You know, so I think, I think like I said in the beginning, you know, there's, there's, I feel like there's three responses that I had to this. Um, when, when faced with this question that, that Jesus has for us, is the first one is responding joyfully or being half in or kind of responding sadly like, like the way that the rich young ruler was or faking it, like I talked to you guys in the beginning about, is, is how I faked it. Um, I choose joyfully. <laughs> I choose, I choose that, and I, I pray that it's by God's grace and God's power that I'm able to choose joyfully. Okay, so um, the last point I want to make to you guys is, is what does my response look like, or why do I respond? Um, and what really spoke to me here was in Revelation 3, if you guys want to turn there, where Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea, or Laodicea. And um, I know we touched a little bit about this. Um, so this is Jesus speaking. Um, this is Jesus, his letters to the seven churches. Um, and so here's, here's my thought process before we get into scripture. Is that this is Jesus after he died and was raised again. And now he's sharing with John the seven letters 
um, to the seven churches. So this is the risen Jesus that's talking. So I feel like, like the way that I kind of imagine it is if, if my grandma came back from the dead and I saw her and I was standing in front of her and she was saying something to me, I feel like there's huge validity, huge power behind that. I really do. And so here's Jesus in Revelations talking. This is after everything. This is after his ministry on earth. And now this is after he says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So now he's the end all be all. And this is what he's saying to the church in Laodicea. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I would rather you be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my hat mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness, um, and, and, and the shame of your ma- nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. I really want you guys to pay attention to this part, verse 21. This is a promise, I believe, from Jesus. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's I don't even know if that's worth dissecting and kind of giving you my, my thoughts and my, my point of view from that. This is Jesus talking. And I, uh, it's, it's pretty big. Huge words like, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That had a huge impact on me. At the end of my life, I'm, I'm sitting here faking it. Is it worth it that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm... I'm be like, but everybody else thought I was a Christian. Everybody else thought I was a believer. And, and just, who am I fooling? Who am I fooling? And if I'm going to stand before God one day, and he, my desire, which has been a prayer of mine repeatedly for a while now, was that on my deathbed, I can look back at my life and say, Wow, like nothing makes sense. Nothing made sense. That it was God that was taking me through this journey and and it was by his power that things in my life that the only explanation I have for my life is God. That's, that's, That's what I want. That's my goal in life. And then my next thought, once I'm on my deathbed and I pass, that I can stand before God and he can say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That is my drive. That is my, that's the thing that gets me up in the morning. And that's, that's the thing that I think about constantly. And yeah, I'm, I mess up. Yeah, I make mistakes. But it's by God's grace that he can hone me back in and direct me on the path that 
leads to everlasting life. So the one thing that I want to pull from this that I, I, I really that really spoke to me in, in Revelations chapter three is is the point that I wanted to highlight was verse twenty one, the one who conquers. I wanted to focus on that word conquers. Because that that's a that's a war term. I, I don't see that as, as as a term to be taken lightly as just, you know, to do good or to kind of, you know, pass. It's not it's not a passive word. It's conquer. Like this is a battle that I'm in. This is this is the fight that I'm in. And I have to conquer for the sake of Christ because of the promise that he says in the next verses that it's worth the battle. It's worth the fight. And I have to believe that because it's, it's a promise from him. And so if, if I really believe, if I really believe that there's a being up in heaven and that he sent his son to die for my sins and to live in this life and to be an example for me to live and he was raised up, I feel like my life should look differently. My response should be differently. So now that I'm given this knowledge of, his, of God's story in my life and in what he's done, my response needs to be different. And so I know that my response can only come through the Holy Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us courage and boldness and power over, over death because it's, it's the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave that lives in us now. And that's, that's something to, to be joyful about, to be excited about, to know that there's nothing bigger than God. There's nothing bigger than Him. And that power is within us and that we can face and conquer mediocrity, being lukewarm, being, being cavalier about our relationship with Christ. And it's, it's through His Spirit that we have that power. And... Um, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to end. Um, actually, back to the questions, I guess. Yeah. So the question that I had for you guys is, if you guys were to interview me to see if I love my wife, what questions would you ask me? And you guys asked some great questions. But um, let me kind of flip it on its head a little bit. If I was to ask us these questions on the basis of interviewing our relationship with God and to see if we really love Him. Let's go through these questions. Am I faithful to Him? What do I do for Him? Do I give Him all my time? Do I listen to Him? Do I really know Him? Do I appreciate him? Am I sacrificing for him? I think that's a good one to end on. But I want to end kind of with a little benediction of in Ephesians 3. Um, and, and I love this prayer. And um, Ephesians 3.14, Paul prays, 
and um, or this is in, in scripture and for spiritual strength and um, Ephesians 3:14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height and depth to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God I just love the words that Paul uses here. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know something that surpasses knowledge. It's just that surpasses knowledge in itself for me. And to be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our problems seem so big sometimes. But you are bigger. You are so much more bigger. God, I pray that we find our strength in you, that you are our stronghold, not in things not in places, not even in people, God, that you are the one we run to and find strength and comfort. God, and and let us not be mediocre about our faith anymore. Give us strength to be on fire for you so that you can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I pray this for me daily, God. I pray that you you stir up in me the fire that only you can provide. God, I thank you for who you are. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.